Uh, praise God. Uh, to situate just for a minute uh, where we've kind of come from the last few weeks. First Sunday of Advent, Amy spoke on being a people in process. That God is not asking perfection from us or offering it in a one-off thing, but, but God is also not removed or distant or angry or cold, but that God is here with us, present and close. She reminded us that Isaiah, the ancient Jewish prophet, had spoken about God's promised Emmanuel, God with us, that uh, God would be suffering alongside of us, leading all of humanity to hope and peace and joy. On the second Sunday of Advent, we had a party. That was a lot of fun. There was some silliness that took place, and I am a huge fan of silliness, so that was really fun to break bread and eat together. I think it was like, I mean, it's not the first time, but it felt like, ah, oh, like, like this is, I've been waiting for this kind of thing for so long, right? It's been a long haul through lockdowns and rules and so on. So that was the second Sunday of Advent, and then the third Sunday of Advent, uh, Jonathan Berger last week spoke about how Jesus surprises us, how he isn't always the gift that maybe we think we want, but he is the gift that we need. And John invited us to be open to joy, to receiving the gift of God's presence, even and especially in uh, surprising and unexpected ways. So this week, the fourth week of Advent, typically uh, the church lights the candle that represents love. And so we're going to talk a bit about love. We'll also lean into, since we're not gathering here, I'm going to, I leaned into some of the the scripture passages for next Sunday as well, and just kind of blend it all together, and I'm going to read a whole bunch of of scripture to you, and just we're going to kind of chew on it and sit in it, because it's really, the readings for today and for next week are really beautiful. But I have called this message, Scandalous Love, because Christmas is crazy, you guys. Like, it's just bonkers the way that God brought forth his plan of redemption into the world. It's crazy, and I think we should not forget that. Uh, I think one of the risks that we run into at Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, anything that we observe and celebrate year after year, is we can become kind of blinded to the power and the weirdness and the shockingness of the events that these traditions and celebrations are about. Uh, we, you know, we see, we get accustomed to seeing a baby in a manger, right? We, we see it every year. So it seems kind of maybe like a normal place for a baby to be. Maybe like a, a ma- manger is just another word for crib. But a manger is not a place for a baby. A manger is a feed trough for animals. You do not put your newborn baby in a feed trough that, that is like a homeless shelter scenario. You do not usually go there unless everything else has failed. We can be thankful that there are feed troughs when our babies require them, but it's not something that should happen. It's not a normal scenario. It, uh, it, it's so desperate and peculiar, as we will hear in a minute, that the angel tells some shepherds they will specifically know that they have found the Messiah when they find a baby lying in a feed trough. <laughs> like, this is uh, weird. It's 
not meant to happen. If it was normal, it would not be a very helpful sign of the Messiah's presence. Go, go down the street and you will find a mother loving her baby. And you will know that you have, what? That's a million of those. I think we can also be blinded to the, like the, the scandalousness of, of the Virgin Mary. Because this is a probably 15-ish year old girl. She is young, and she is not yet married. And let's just sit, like we sing about the Virgin, as we should. We celebrate the Holy Family. We have these little beautiful wooden statues that we that we put up, and it's beautiful. As uh, they one, yes, right. So we have these. We get really used to them, right? Uh, and especially because they're, they're always kind of in this like this very kind of baroque kind of. So you, you can kind of forget that if your 15-year-old daughter came to you and said, I'm pregnant and the baby is God's, you would not believe it. You would say that's crazy. And you would not likely be happy. You know, attendant emotions of fear, rage, concern, surprise. Joseph is described as such a good guy that he is going to quietly break off his marriage with the young lady. So, like, this is scandalous. And it's not just scandalous by today's standards. Like, just because it's an ancient story doesn't mean it was less weird for them. It, it, it was shocking, right? The, the, the public assumption, of, just, just to be very real, the public assumption for a pregnant Mary is going to be that she was sleeping around or she was a victim of sexual violence or that Joseph is not such a great guy. These are, these are the real world risks that God chooses to bring about his plan of redemption intentionally in the midst of. It is scandalous shocking, bizarre, and that's Advent, <laughs> which means a arrival, right? The arrival, the delivery of a human baby upon whom rests all of our hope for salvation and redemption, of rescue. Today, of course, we have this massive cultural celebration called Christmas, or... Uh, capitalism miss, perhaps, sometimes. Uh, we have the cute nativity scenes, we watch the movies, we wear the sweater. I mean, I, I have to watch Home Alone every year or it's not Christmas. Does anyone, anyone have their particular Christmas movies? Yeah. What, what are some of your Christmas movies? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. White Christmas. White Christmas. Wonderful Life. Wonderful Life. Yeah. Elf, yes. The Grinch. The Grinch. <laughs> I have to watch Home Alone 1. I would prefer also to watch Home Alone 2 if I have time. Uh, we, we do all these things, we go shopping, we wear the sweaters, and we move into these familiar rhythms of Christmas, which, as has been pointed out already, uh, some of them are really pleasant, and some of them are more complex, right? Uh, if you're a younger person, probably more happiness and joy around Christmas than anything else, am I right? What do you guys, what do you guys feel around Christmas? Hmm? Excitement. Excitement. Happiness. Happiness. 
You're not a young person, I'm not asking you. You're, you're a grown woman. Uh, yeah, okay, so, so we've, mostly it's like when you're little, it's like really good and Christmas is awesome. Okay, stress, yes. What else do we sometimes feel at Christmas? Any, anybody willing to share some of their personal Christmas emotions? Can share. It goes by too fast. Okay, so even in the midst of excitement and joy, there's like this, oh, I need to get the most out of it because then it's over. If your parents are divorced, Christmas is complicated. If you've experienced tragedy and great loss, Christmas is often a reminder of what you're grieving. Christmas can be a decidedly mixed bag. And that, again draws me back into Advent, because I think Advent has room for those complexities. Advent has room for suffering and joy, hopelessness and fulfilled dreams, right? The only people who, who need promises of hope are the hopeless. Joy tastes so sweet precisely because we suffer. Because we have pain and are in pain and are, and are victims of injustice. And I, I know for me, this year where we're kind of post-lockdown and maybe like we got to do this party and we're getting to do more things, it's reminding me of the last few years when we didn't. And it's also, I'm joyous that we can. And all of that is kind of leaning me back into the uniqueness of Advent and the scandalous absurdity of, of the way that God comes to us. Uh, last week, or kind of the week before, we, we had hosted a party at our place for all the kids' church volunteers, and, and that was so fun to hang out and eat and laugh, and, and we have a whole new team of volunteers since we started up kids' church, so folks have never really connected necessarily with one another. It was fun. It also reminded me of the years where we didn't get to do that. Uh, just, just this Friday, uh, our church leadership team had, had a, our own little Christmas celebration, and it, it was fun, and we ate a lot of food, and drank wine, and sang carols for almost an hour, and there may be video evidence of some of those things. And it, it's reminded me of the faithfulness of God, right? The last couple of years have felt a bit like, God, where, where are you? Where is your faithfulness? I'm, I'm having to really seek it out. So, uh, it just, it draws me back into this, this thing that, that the way that God chooses to rescue and redeem us is in the middle of this life, these real messy lives that we live. It's not some, I don't know, pie in the sky, amazing, one day you will be redeemed and everything, like, we, we, you don't need redemption unless you, like, are stuck. You don't need freedom from oppression unless you are oppressed. Yeah. And so this is where I've been kind of camping out the last few weeks. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read these scriptures. But as we do that, I want you to, to remember some of these complexities, to hold them in, in your mind. The joy, the loneliness, the sadness, the hope, the fun, the surprise. I want you to remember uh, there's not really any situation in which a 15-year-old virgin girl having, being pregnant is not univer- like weird, like that's a weird situation. Remember also that this happened in a, in a country that was violently oppressed by a foreign military superpower. Yeah. 
People who did not agree that Caesar was Lord and Lord of all would be publicly executed and their bodies left out to hang on display to everybody else. People are not free. People are living in, in fear. And Mary and Joseph, I think, provide us this like close-up, zoomed-in look of what it means to live life under oppression. When Caesar says, get counted, you go and you get counted. You don't have a choice, even if it means traveling really far on a donkey with your pregnant wife. That's not a fun trip. It's not a glamorous road trip, if any road trips are glamorous. And, and that is, is also a picture of the, of the entire human race. That we, whether we realize it or not, are in a state of oppression. Yeah. That we are subject to the rule of a foreign power. Fear and death, foreign to our nature, terrorize us, tyrannize us, rule over us harshly. We are dominated by loss and violence and disease, enslaved to fear, ruled over by panic and heartbreak, subjects of our own fearful desire for comfort and control, and we end up hurting the people that we love the most, even when we don't intend to. So the Jewish nation, for centuries, has been crying out, God, Where are you? Where is your promised deliverance? Which is really, I think, symbolic for the entire human race. I didn't opt into this. I didn't even choose to be born. I certainly didn't choose to be born into this kind of horrific, painful, violent system. But God has not been deaf to those cries. God is not okay with his children believing that he is far away from them. God is not okay with his true character not being known, with our true nature not being known. He is going to do something about it. He promised that he would, and Mary and Joseph and just a few others are going to see the beginning of this rescue plan. And, and even that is scandalous, because nobody gets it, right? Like a handful of smelly shepherds are told about it by an angel, and a bunch of Zoroastrian astrologers from Persia follow the stars a couple of years later. It's small, it's low-key. It's small scale. Yeah. It's, again, absurd and scandalous that this is how redemption begins. This is how the revolution <laughs> starts. The whole world is going to change yeah. in a really shocking and scandalous way. So hold all of that in your mind, if you can, as I read. Uh, I'm, if you want to read, you can. I'll give out the verses, but, but I would encourage you maybe just close your eyes and just see if you can imagine. Just picture Tune in to some of these things uh, as, we, as we go. So the promise of redemption, we'll start there. This is Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exaltation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Imagine that your grandparents and their parents and their parents have been telling and resharing that for 700 years. And it's about to happen. Matthew 1, 18 to 24. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Weird. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, weird, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is also before Pentecost. Weird. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph says, cool, 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 cool. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look. The virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. In Luke 2, verse 1 to 14, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a feed trough because there was no place in the guest room. 
Now in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were thrilled, terrified, (laughs) terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. Somebody say, all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a feed trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among whom he favors. Whom does God favor? Everyone. Everyone that he made. Everyone made in the image of God. God is with us. After all the pain, all the heartache, all the years of believing that we have been abandoned, cast aside, left to fend for ourselves, uniquely deficient, God is here. And this God can't even fend for himself. This God needed the placenta of a human woman for nine months. This God cried for the breast milk of his mom. This God longed for the care and guidance of his stepdad. Because it turns out God is one of us. Or more accurately, we are one of God. And always have been. We were always meant to be in community with divine love. Who made us to be like him. And that is what the plan of redemption has to look like. Divine love. Restoration to the truth of who we are. Of who God is. And so God comes as a human baby to help us believe it. Hebrews 1, 1 1-4 puts it this way. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by a Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. And a Jewish or Hebrew audience listening to that might well have again remembered the words of Isaiah in chapter 52, verses 7 to 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. 
Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth, shout together for joy, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And it's only just begun. All things, the entire cosmos, is going to be made new. Every tear will be wiped away. Every broken heart mended. It starts with a baby that only a handful of people recognize. But one day, everyone will know who he is. One day, everyone will see and experience this love for themselves. Which is another way of saying every eye shall see and tongue confess the salvation of God. This is the hope that God has promised. That love will eventually capture and transform every heart. The beloved disciple John foresaw it and described it this scandalous way in Revelation 21, verse 22 to 25. I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. And it starts 2,000 years ago with a baby boy because... What else is more perfectly loved with no reason or justification or having done anything to earn it than a baby? We'll close with Romans 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be son of God, with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, for the sake of his name, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all God's beloved in Rome, in Kitchener, in Waterloo, in Cambridge, in Guelph, who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.